What lady is that which doth enrich the hand of yonder knight? Next Chapter Podcast presents the play on podcast series, Romeo and Juliet. She doth teach the torches to burn bright. With original songs and music in a made-for-the-soundstage podcast. From Cupid's quiver, courage, I'll Have not saints' lips and holy palmers, too. Translated into modern English verse by Hansel Jung. I, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer. Hear Shakespeare's tragedy about two star-crossed lovers as you've never imagined it before. You kiss by the book. Adapted from the acclaimed Nat Cohen Two River Theater production. Can I move forward when all my heart is here? Go to playonpodcast.com to learn more. And remember, violent delights have violent ends. Every so often in the library, you come across something strange, something that leads you down a rabbit hole. For Charlie Rudoy, who works on BPL's Brooklyn Collection School Outreach and Education team, it was a garbage barge. He came across the barge when his coworker was going through some old files. And it kind of is this type of story that I think like fits my sense of humor. So like I think you'd get a kick out of this garbage barge. Charlie opened the folder and found himself in the middle of what turned out to be a surprisingly passionate war over three thousand tons of trash. So for me, it was really these headlines like wretched refuse moors off our teeming shores that lured me in and then from there picked up the narrative. Okay, wait up. Wretched refuse? Yeah, it's, uh, you like the Emma Lazarus callback there? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so all of this happened in Islip in Long Island in 1987. And there's a dump there in Islip and it's getting really full as a lot of dumps in the New York area would. So this businessman in Alabama gets the idea to ship the trash from Long Island to the South where the landfills have more room. This was kind of a trial run for what he hoped would be an empire of like big city garbage being barged all over the place. So from Islip, the garbage barge sails out of the New York City waters and down the Southeastern coast. When it was docked off of North Carolina, I think a local news team spotted a bedpan or something. And then from there, it was just like, it's medical waste. You know, as these news stories tend to be, it was pretty inflammatory whether or not it was accurate. People in North Carolina started to get upset. Essentially, their attitude was, why are we going to allow New York City trash that sounds pretty hazardous into our landfill? So North Carolina rejected it, and the barge traveled further south. Went down to Florida. It, it went around Florida, tried to unload in Texas. They wouldn't have it there, and then ended up um, around Belize, around Central America. Um, it, you know, it became a media circus. The barge has been chased away by the warplanes of two nations, and now it's anchored here, five miles off the coast of Key West, Florida. Still loaded with tons of garbage, still on I think Johnny Carson did, like, many bits about it. You know they're selling it. garbage from that garbage scow that left Long Island and went around for months and ended up in Islip, New York? Some guy apparently made a deal with him. This is from you know, Paul it turns Smith. into a punchline. The world is watching on TV as dock after dock is rejecting this big city garbage barge. So if you can believe it, these 3,000 tons of trash traveled about 6,000 miles round trip. Nobody wants it. At some point, they finally just come back to the New York Harbor, and the drama is still not over with this garbage. What's interesting is that the solution 
they came to pretty early on, I think even before it got back to New York Harbor, was that eventually it could go back to Islip. But then the problem was, how do you get it to Islip? Because there was only one dock in New York that was licensed to barge garbage, as they say. So it had to go to Long Island City, Queens, which is where that um, this guy Tommy Jaswali had the, the dock where you could do it. So the borough president of Queens was kind of the first to say, you cannot dock that at Queens. Because what it would mean is that then it would have to be trucked through Queens to get to Long Island. You know, I know this happened in 1987, but it really does feel like one of those stories that like media Twitter would be having a field day with. Absolutely. I feel like the hashtag would have been garbage badge. Exactly. So, you know, these New York City politicians are going back and forth on this. Queens doesn't want this supposedly toxic waste zooming through their borough on trucks. So then eventually it gets decided that the trash can be incinerated and then trucked to Islip. And this is where Brooklyn gets involved because we have an incinerator on the waterfront. And so the borough president of Brooklyn, Howard Golden, was concerned about the fact that people in his community would be exposed to the burning of all of this trash. And so then it was back in court. It became toxic for any politician from North Carolina, where it originally was supposed to go, to Florida, to Mexico. Uh, It just became politically toxic to be the person who accepted this trash. Okay, politically toxic, but was the trash actually medical waste? No, it was mostly paper. And in fact, it should have been recycled. By today's standards, this whole garbage barge debacle became a bit of a catalyst for the recycling movement in the early 90s. And that's a whole other story. But to New Yorkers, it also became a tourist attraction. We've got all of these pictures of the barge with the Verrazano Bridge and the World Trade Center in the background. It also became this you know, a little bit of a symbol for this dark side of consumerism. You know, the day that it went up in smoke in Bensonhurst, no one considered that a victory. People, I think, really looked inward at society having really failed. We all, like, live in a, in a place, especially as a New Yorker, you live in a place with millions of people that would not work if people didn't remove your trash. And it feels like magic. You get to put it out on the curb and then it's gone. Or you get to throw something away and you don't have to think about it. So today, we're going to think about it. Why do we throw so much stuff away? Where does it all go? And what does it say about us when we do throw it out? I'm Krissa Corbett-Kavoris. And I'm Adra Ducey. You're listening to Borrowed. Hello, I'm Abigail. I'm a custodian at Central Library. Usually I get here, check all the public restrooms, make sure nobody pooped in any interesting places, replace paper towels and toilet paper, keep doing that until the library closes, and then make sure the art and music section looks shiny for the next day. I've always liked coming to the library since I was a little kid and checking out all the interesting sci-fi and fantasy and comic books. I grew up Orthodox Jewish, so like that stuff was kind of taboo. We were only supposed to be reading religious texts. So it was kind of fun sneaking in here and reading all these things that I thought were so badass, but actually were like really benign. So when I was looking for something real to do with my life that wasn't capitalist nonsense, uh, I decided to look on the, on the library employment page. 
I want to be a children's librarian at some point. I think it's important to kind of start with the way institutions work and then build your way up to different sections and stuff. Uh, and buildings are very important when it comes to libraries, that we have a physical space. And if that physical space isn't working properly, the HVAC isn't working, if the toilets aren't working, kind of sends the whole thing spiraling. That was Abigail Najjar, a custodian at Central Library. We were able to catch her at the end of the day as she was taking out the trash. Which is a big, important job at Central Library. We produce 1.2 tons of waste every week. It's a lot of paper. It's people's lunches. It's all the other refuse of the day. And listeners, it might shock you to hear it. We do throw away books. In terms of weeding the collections, um, History is difficult to decide what to keep and what not to keep. Um, where it's like the science is, if it's not current, goodbye. This is librarian Norman Erickson. I'm the division manager of the arts and history department here in the Central Library. I've been weeding these decks on and off for the last 30 years. So what does he mean by weeding? Weeding means going through a collection and of materials and making a decision. Should we keep this book or not? Do we need it? Why do we need it? Is it useful? Is it current? What's the condition it's in? Weeding. We do it all the time. I I feel like there's a librarian joke in there somewhere. There is. Do you want to hear it? I do. Weeding is fundamental. Oh. Yeah. We're good at puns. Yes, so good. So we're now taking them off the shelf. Norman took us down to the decks to look at all the books that the library will be throwing away. Problems in the Pacific, 1931. The Kingdom of Oil, the Middle East, its people, and its power. That was published in 1974. They're fascinating things, but they're not what we need now. So this is always controversial for our patrons who are always book lovers, but we are libraries and we do have to discard books. Yes, and one of the main reasons we do this is to get rid of outdated information. Old books in a public library can be dangerous. We want to keep the information that we give to you relevant and useful. And what is relevant and useful is always changing. Brooklyn evolves. My great-grandmother, the books that she would have read in the early part of the 20th century, she spoke a language that's dead. It's preserved somewhat in a form of the Icelandic language. It's closest thing to Old Norse is what my grandmother spoke. Most likely she came to this library. She lived in Bay Ridge. Um, but the books that she read are useless. They would be a curiosity. But for a public library today, these are books that we really don't need. So I need Chinese. I need Creole. I need Russian. And perhaps it was too drastic to say that we throw the books away. Right. A lot of our old books that patrons today probably aren't interested in go to academic libraries. And the vast majority of books we get rid of go to a company which sells them online. A portion of that money comes back to the library and can be used to buy newer, more relevant books. And the rest, well... The stuff that's in very, very bad shape that's disintegrating gets recycled. So the good news is that this isn't getting barged around the ocean in a 6,000-mile loop. Well, that's there's an upside.
So listening to these two stories about trash is making me think about what I throw away and what I am hesitant to throw away. I went through an exercise a few years ago where I took all of the disintegrating mass market paperbacks off of my shelves. A lot of them are sci-fi and Dorothy Sayers. And they're just, these books weren't designed to last 40 years. The pages are yellowing. The covers are crumbling. So I, I made a list of all of the ones that I loved. And as I walk into a used bookstore, I sort of scan the shelves for a better, maybe a hardback, maybe a better quality copy. And then I buy it again. But meanwhile, those disintegrating mass market paperbacks, you know, unfortunately, they probably ended up in a landfill. But what if they didn't end up in a landfill? What you're going to see here is uh, things on New York Strat every single day. And me and my coworkers go out and we pick these things up. And uh, we don't want to throw them away because they can be used again. So we just bring them to the garage. One of the places your trash could end up is on East 99th Street in one of the Department of Sanitation's garages with Nelson Molina. And uh, I would also go out like uh, nine, ten years old. I would go out like a week before Christmas. I know the people are throwing all the old toys away because the kids are getting new toys. So I would go like I had like a three-block radius, and I would just go look in all the garbage, pick up all the old, even if the toys were broken. Nelson is retired now, but he worked as a trash collector for the New York City Department of Sanitation for 34 years, and picking things up is kind of a calling for him. Uh, if I find a little car and it was missing a wheel, I go into my mother's sewing kit and take a button out and glue the button onto the wheel so that we can play with the car. So I, I always had a passion, collecting and not throwing anything out, because my mother always tells them, never throw anything out if somebody else can use it. When Nelson started working for the Department of Sanitation, he began to see how much usable stuff people were throwing away every day, and he did what he had always done. He picked it up. And the things that he picked up, instead of putting it into the back of the garbage truck, he put into the cab. He saved it and stored the items in his locker back at the garage. This is the men's locker room, yeah. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Nelson took our producer on a tour of that locker room where sanitation workers are getting ready for their shifts. So this room I built first. So what you hear is what's in here? It's been here since 1982. Wow. Yeah. So. Okay. This is all, all the small stuff. And I had three. There was me and two other guys here. Then I started putting up shelves, so one guy left because he didn't fit here. Then I kept putting more shelves up, then the other guy left, so it just ended up being me by myself and all this stuff. Here. <laughs> so this has been here. here. Yeah, this has been here for, from 1982. On every surface of the cubby, there were little trinkets. Bobblehead people, tiny cups and spoons, old perfume bottles. I mean, everywhere you look, it's just fascinating. So pretty soon, this locker room got too full, and Nelson's bosses let him put the stuff in the warehouse storage cages. And then there was too much stuff for the cages, so he arranged items by type on tables, kind of like a library. Yes, and it's an amazing variety of things, stuff that you wouldn't really find in a library. (laughs) We have a wall of Tamagotchis. We have a whole Christmas section with uh, trees and decorations and toys well when we first started i think we had about 500 pieces and now it's up to 45,000 pieces so over here you got a lot of uh india stuff from india you got stuff from uh japan china whatever it is swords and all kinds of stuff this is all my white glass so everything here is like white glass uh furniture and chairs wow there's a turkey that looks like a real yes yeah, a real turkey yeah it looks like a taxidermist they say they do as you can imagine, after decades of experience, Nelson got really good at picking out treasures. Yeah, well, I, I developed these senses from doing this so long. So I would just pick up the bag and I would know there's something in there, you know, and I tell the guy, give me that bag, there's something in there. You didn't hear that? 
He goes, no, I didn't hear anything. I opened it up. He said, but Nelson, how do you know there's something in there? I said, I just can hear the noise that the bag makes when you pick it up and, you know, the way it feels and everything. And he got to be pretty well known in the neighborhood as a sort of trash connoisseur. And when people had something special, they left it for him. And if you were a little disconcerted at the idea of somebody going through your trash, you should know, once you take it to the curb, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to the Department of Sanitation. Yeah, it doesn't actually belong to Nelson either. It's not like he can sell it. You know, this is just like where we started the season, right? Talking about the idea of a library of things instead of a library of books. If you look at the pictures of Nelson's space, it actually feels a little bit like an archive. There's this timeline of pop culture history from... Cabbage Batch Kids in the 80s to Marvel action figures now. And the stuff is like a little bit of a catalog of life in East Harlem because it's mostly collected from the same one square mile in Manhattan. Yeah, 80% of what you see here comes from 96th Street to 110 from 1st to 5th Avenue. Yeah, the other 20% comes from the other two sections that we got from 110 uh, to 145 from 1st to 5th Avenue. It is easy to be romantic about what this library of unwanted things says about us. But for Nelson, the message is clear and simple. What, what comes to mind when you look at all of it? Uh, well, all this stuff could have been in a landfill or it could have been an incinerator. So I saved it from going to a landfill incinerator. That's what people got to do now. We have to uh, waste less and we have to recycle more, like you see here. I mean, all this stuff could have been given to somebody else, could have been donated to some thrift shop or... You know, somebody donated, somebody could have used it or something like that. You know, Nelson was kind of a guy ahead of the time because we have this really growing trend of conscious consumerism and being careful with what we buy and own. It is pretty poignant that for a person whose job it was to take out the trash, Nelson was quite resistant to the idea of throwing things away. Now it's time for our book match segment, and here to recommend a few books for you all is the librarian Katya Shapiro. Hi, Katya. Hi. So we've just spent the episode talking about how libraries and people decide what to throw away and where all that stuff goes. And you've put together a list of books on that very topic. So what's the first one that you have for us? The first one I wanted to talk about is the classic of New York sanitation workers, Picking Up by Robin Nagel. She was the embedded anthropologist at the Department of Sanitation for many years, and she does a very deep dive on everything New York City trash, from how the trucks work to how the workers operate to where it goes and what happens to it. She worked on a truck for a little while. It's very funny. It's very frustrating. And she founded a very closed club to join, I think. It took her a really long time to kind of break in and get people to talk to her. Yeah, we're actually going to have the author of the book, Robin Nagel, on our next episode in two weeks. So thank you for bringing that up. Great. Um, And what's the next book you have for us? The next book I wanted to talk about, which really jumps into this theme of weeding and throwing books away, is the library book by Susan Orlean. The book is structured around the 1986 fire that devastated the Los Angeles Central Library, which um, apparently got overshadowed by Chernobyl to the point that a lot of people don't know about it. But if you were in L.A. at the time, it was a very big deal. And I don't know if you've read anything else by Susan Arlene, but she has this very personal brand of journalism where she follows her rabbit holes wherever she wants to go. And she is the right author for a book about the strangeness and weirdness and messiness of libraries and the people who inhabit them. Thank you. And what is the last book that you have for us? The last book, which um, 
maybe people are tired of hearing about, but it just it was unavoidable in this context, is The uh, Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. You know, she now has her Netflix show. She's a household word. The book is practically a sentient being. It's, you know, attacked all of our consciousness to the point where we fold our shirts funny. But there's a one chapter of the book that spawned a lot of fuss and hatred, especially from library and book people, because she at one point recommends if you don't need all of your books, you could take some pages out of them and put them in like a plastic file or something. And that's caused a lot of people to be up in arms and making memes and shaking their fists. And in all reality, that's not exactly what she recommends. But it's a measure of how strongly this funny little book, it's a little lifestyle guide, but it's really gotten everyone's gut somehow. Thank you so much, Katya. Um, Listeners, that was Picking Up by Robin Nagel, The Library Book by Susan Orlean, and The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. We've put a link to the complete book match list on our website, and you can check out all of them right here at the Brooklyn Public Library. Again, thank you, Katya. Thank you. You've been listening to Borrowed from Brooklyn Public Library, and we are not done with trash just yet. We got a little bit obsessed with a topic, enough to turn it into two episodes. So check back in in two weeks. We've got a bunch more fascinating garbage stories for you. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Adra Aduse, and Krista Corbett-Kavoris. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website, bklynlibrary.org slash podcast. Borrowed is produced and written by Virginia Marshall with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer and Robin Lester Kenton. Our music composer is Billy Lippy. We are recording from Central Library's Information Commons recording studio. And guess what? If you have a BPL library card, you too can reserve time here and make your own podcast. Until next time, remember, weeding is fundamental. Hey, Bard listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy. It only takes 30 seconds and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to BKLYNlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support.